0: The air against the Kyler Murray speaks with.
1: Like, what has he done in the National Football League?
2: Kyler Murray don't care about
0: nobody but Kyler Murray. (laughs) That's just a matter of fact.
1: Yeah, just a few
3: of the arrows headed the way of Kyler Murray this week. The first one from Emmanuel Acho of FS1. Speak for yourself, talking about arrogance. Uh, Then that was the thesis statement from Patrick Peterson's uh, discussion on a podcast with Brian McFadden. Kyler Murray don't care about anybody but uh, Kyler Murray. Um, I said it in the tease, though, coming into this discussion. Cliff Kingsbury from day one, there's been people that have been out for Cliff Kingsbury. Jumped the line. Yep. Steve Wilkes shouldn't have been fired. This guy got fired by his alma mater, wasn't a winner there. How did he get this job? How did he jump the line? So there's a lot of people that are very, very anxious when things are going wrong to jump on. Right. See, I told you so. He stinks as a head coach. Yep. Kyler Murray's kind of the same thing. Um, He's always been viewed as, um, you know, gifted, maybe a little entitled. And now that things are not going well in year four, man, the the arrows are out and they are sharp and they're being shot at Kyler Murray to a point where we haven't I, we haven't seen this to this degree yet in his career. Right?
0: Yeah, everywhere. I mean, and I know Emmanuel a little bit too. Uh, played with his brother Samacho, mm-hmm. all right, and so got to know him. And he's normally pretty reserved. I don't. Did I miss something? Did, did did Kyler? What what comments is he referring to when he's saying
3: arrogance? It all comes back to that explanation of the fourth and inches play where Kyler Murray spoke of being schematically bleeped.
0: Well, that just shows me they didn't watch the play. They didn't watch the play. they And, were. They, and they,
3: they absolutely <laughs> were. the ball but, the play action. But, but also paying no attention to the context right. where it, he's discussing one play, not discussing the entire offense. But it's also,
4: it's sort of a building thing, though, because it started with the offseason and the study clause. So that... Impacted how people view him. Yes. Then it was the, you know, calm the f down that not only was reported on, but but then also was
0: shown on Hard Knocks. Yes. But you guys, that's not arrogance though. No, but you guys. Well, know. he's yelling it at his coach. That's not arrogance. That's that's frustration in emotion. emotion in within the game.
3: Um, arrogance would be like, I'm not listening to you. I know, I know this better than you do, right? Uh, but but Jerry, you brought up the study clause, and that came up too. I want to play this this cut from the, the Patrick Peterson podcast that everybody's talking about today too, uh, and it does. Center around that. I
0: think Kyler Murray is basically saying, "Man, I'm ready to get this guy up out of here." And I think it's safe to say because of the contract they gave Kyler Murray, he has a lot of say so within that organization. Which is and so crazy because this the same guy that y'all put in his contract. You got to study four hours a week. Yeah, and they removed it, but they had it in there initially, correct? But the but the but the but the system messed up. But they they requiring you to study for four hours. But the system messed up.
1: Yeah. They had it in there. That was in there. You're right, you're right my guy.
0: So and on top of that, if you look at it, if you look at it, since Kyler been there, all the stats is complete, all the same. Records, all that is the same. It's a, it's
4: it's consistent.
3: We talked about it in real time. Hell, we probably had you on to talk about it with us. Though when that when yeah. the news <laughs> of that study clause broke. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that the language was included in the contract. I couldn't believe that Kyler Murray's side agreed to it. I couldn't believe that it became public. And I said at the time, this is something that's attached to you for the rest of your life unless you make it go away. Kyler Murray hasn't made it go away. And that, uh, you know, Kyler Murray is not exempt from criticism as an NFL quarterback, a highly paid one at that. And he's not had a good year. That's the bottom line. But what the Arizona Cardinals organization has subjected this guy to. Since the end of last season is head scratching. I I don't get the strategy. We're gonna pay you, but we're gonna make it real difficult. I mean it's. I mean at the time, I mean I think
0: when you're putting a contract together like that, you're trying to protect yourself, you know, and you want to. It's just not the smartest move, and it's it is, how, how do you, how else do you create um, or motivate a guy to do what he needs to do yeah. in order to be worthy of this contract or play to the level where the organization feels like they're paying you for a reason, right? If you
4: feel that strongly, though, that you have to motivate him to do that, (laughs) are you giving him $200
0: million? Yes, yes. Motivation, his skill set and what he's been able to accomplish, they want him to go to the next level, right? There's different levels of motivation. Some guys are intrinsically, some people have to be externally. You have to come up with ways to take guys to another level because you can be... Um, extremely talented but there's more in the D.A., right? D.A. is is a guy. He can go out there and give you 20 and 10 every night, but you're like ah, but you got more, right? And so how do I motivate a guy like that to do something else? So the same thing with Kyler. He can go out there and be a solid quarterback in the NFL which is really hard. A top 15 guy which you would say he probably is right now probably right there in the middle. 15 depending on, on, on the year. Last year he probably was a top 10 guy especially the first half mm-hmm. right so how do we get this guy to go to the next level where are the where are the points that we can motivate him to go to the next level or where are the the things or uh you know contract uh things that we can put in there to motivate him or hold him accountable so that he takes those next steps and so maybe they've talked to him to death right we've had uh fits in here we've had uh hop in here whatever and it hasn't shifted so how can we do it from a con- track standpoint is it a smart move I, I you know obviously not because then you' putting you putting all of that dirty laundry essentially on display for everybody to criticize Absolutely. and that's another thing that he has to deal with in his progression as a quarterback in this league and so it obviously hasn't worked out well because he still hasn't figured out what he needs to do to take that shift and take this team to another level yep. so it is hard
3: i I think you bring up a great point the, the motivation of a professional athlete should never stop from a coaching standpoint. Right, right. Standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, especially if you're pouring in hundreds of millions of dollars, but to put it out there for the whole world to see. The,
0: yeah, and that's the issue. <laughs> right, right. There's oh. no way they could do it without without doing it. Without putting it out there if you're going to put it in the contract. And yeah. so I think they... I, this is a, obviously, is a bad decision, hindsight, and that's why they took it out. Um, but at that point, the damage had been done. But you always, as a coach, you're trying to figure out how do I get a guy if he's not... If he's not in a position where he does it himself to take his game to another
3: level, yeah. One more point, one last point on the Patrick Peterson podcast, and we kind of joked around it before. Like the the amount of time that Patrick Peterson has spent talking about the Arizona Cardinals <laughs> as a member of the Minnesota Vikings <laughs> right. is somewhat puzzling. We get it, it's a podcast, um, and I, I, I kind of brought up the don't you worry about your own business before you broadcast your thoughts on on somebody else. And I know Tuesdays are a day off in the NFL and players do what they do, but do you think there's people in that Minnesota Vikings locker room now that are thinking – what are you doing, Pat?
0: Mm, probably not. They're no? just letting Pat the, be Pat. He's, the team's he's actually, doing well, and he's, he's doing well. About to say, and he's playing well. It'd be one thing, because I wonder how much you talked about him last year, right? Because the team was not a little different, right? So when you're doing well, you have a little bit more freedom, or you have like, okay, I can talk. I'm doing well. My team is doing well. So there's a little bit more freedom there. Okay. And you're not going to get as much pushback from guys in your locker room because y'all are, are successful.
3: Yeah. Uh, it is the Thursday show. It is 8.13 a.m. We've gone this long, the day after an episode of Hard Knocks, without saying the word Hard Knocks. But now I've said it twice, so we might as well talk about it next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings. Lorenzo Alexander sitting in for Bick Today here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
1: Dan Bickley. Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
0: in my life have i have ever had to deal with being benched um, what helped me through everything was understanding what kind of player I am knowing who I am who I want to be and who I can be and I feel like just taking what I could do controlling what I can control each and every day you know just being the player everyone
1: expects me to be and um, needs me to be
3: That's Isaiah Simmons from last night's uh, episode, episode four of Hard Knocks on HBO, the in-season edition featuring the Arizona Cardinals, and that was one of the takeaways. There was, again, not a lot there um, in in the episode to really chew on, but... (laughs) Isaiah Simmons talking about being benched and several members of the Cardinals organization uh, talking about Isaiah Simmons being benched. And we had those conversations in real time. And again, I'm sure you were on during that stretch. Right. Week one, though, against Kansas City, Isaiah Simmons plays 87% of the snaps. Um There was a highlight where he got torched by Travis Kelsey in in pass coverage. And it showed up in the episode last night, too. The next two weeks, Isaiah Simmons plays 22% of the snaps against the Raiders, makes a big play at the end of the game to force a fumble that led to Byron Murphy's touchdown to win it. The next week, he plays 33% of the snaps. Going back to September when all this transpired, the word benched was never Never offered.
4: Yeah. remember also in week leading up to week one, he was given the green dot and all this new responsibility and 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 all this hype,
3: too. And he didn't have it. Um, You know, going back to September 22nd, the aftermath of that Raiders game. Where again, Isaiah Simmons played twenty-two percent of the snaps.
2: Vance Joseph said this: "No, it was it was strictly game plan. Again, again, my my biggest challenge is to get the right people out there versus the right people. You know, and that's that's going to be our challenge each week. But he played his butt off. I mean, he had a great week of practice after the Chiefs game. He was he was intentional in practice. He at great meetings, and he he played his butt off. I'll- so uh, that goes
3: on. But again, that, that doesn't jive with uh, you know he played his butt off in practice, uh, but." Yeah, it, it doesn't we make sense. We limited his snaps. Because, I mean, even
0: in that Vance clip, he talks about getting the best people out there. Yeah. Isaiah Simmons isn't one of your best players on your team, right? First rounder, has the flexibility to play. I mean, now you watch him, he's on the edge playing outside linebacker, off the ball, playing uh, inside traditional 4-3 linebacker. You'll play safety a little bit, right? And so uh, from a personnel matchup standpoint, he gives you the most flexibility of any, any guy that's probably on your roster right now, and so that doesn't even make sense either, right? And so there had to be some type of... Uh, and, and I probably would have. I would have bought this. Like, hey, we put too much on this guy's plate. We're pulling back, allowing mm-hmm. him to get his confidence back. We're going to play him in certain areas and allow him to play his way back into that. You know, that green dot type of mentality that would have made more sense, right? We and, and I think people would have moved with that. When you do something drastically like that and then make a comment like we trying to get our best players out there, for me, that's just okay. That's just kind of like cold. And something else may have happened. Whether you know he's you know came to a meeting late or something like that where you're not going to necessarily not play him, but you're going to give him some consequences of, hey, you're not going to play as much because bench means you don't play at all. Yeah, He was pulled back significantly like, hey... You're just not ready. So I, I don't know what really transpired
3: there. Yeah, I, it was weird. They, they seem to be past it now because Isaiah Simmons has been yeah. a fixture on that defense. And he's and, playing and well. He, and he's played well yeah. uh, for, for the most part. Uh, another thing from Hard Knocks last night, and we saw a bit of it in the previous episode. We had wondered, you know, going back to the game in Mexico City against the 49ers, the end of that game, the George Kittle touchdown was not a great look for the Cardinals' defense. Uh Kittle got free down the sideline, oh, yeah. and there, there was an opportunity yeah. for a couple guys to make plays. Uh. Antonio Hamilton was the guy that got singled out, and this episode really showed Antonio Hamilton taking more of the the brunt of uh, of that play. And there was a scene where he's in he's in the meeting room with the with the DBs, and he he basically apologized. I
1: can't do that. Point my here. That's
0: him. Like I said, you cut the tape on, You can't. They don't know what happened. It just can't happen. So for me, the accountability aspect is on me, too. I can't do that no matter what the situation was, no matter how I saw it or how it happened. It don't matter. I can't do that. I can't let y'all down. I can't assume somebody else is going to make the play. I got to make it straight like that.
1: And so that's on me, and I take full responsibility of that. And that eat me up. I was glad Ooh, to see Ooh, I'm
4: glad that. I got all the bleeps there.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's to be, it's gotta be <laughs> sweating on <stressful>. that one. <laughs> Jared's in here at 4.30 in the morning, Whoa. half asleep trying to edit out bleeps uh, to that magnitude. I was glad that uh, Antonio Hamilton did that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the accountability you want from a teammate. Exactly. But I think, a lot, again, a lot is being made about that play, and I wondered the next day, is that the moment the Arizona Cardinals quit? It wasn't. It was one play, and let's be honest about it. If Antonio Hamilton handles that differently lowers the shoulder makes a tackle in a 31-10 game it's still first and goal for the 49ers yeah at that but that's, point.
0: yeah but from a football standpoint that doesn't matter you never concede regardless of what yes. the the situation is is right because yes. once you start doing that if you are willing to do it once and you don't, you're not accountable. You're, you're willing to do it again. And I, as a coach and as your teammate, I don't know when that moment is. So can I really trust you? And that's what it comes down to, especially in the hard times. Everybody can show up and play good when we're winning, but who are you when things aren't great? Things are breaking apart from us. Are you still giving your 100? And I, and I've seen guys lose or keep jobs because of those type of decisions. And so yeah. I, obviously, I'm not advocating for him to lose his job, but I, I, I'm. I I appreciate him sure. standing up and pretty much apologizing and not making any excuses. And he kind of, you know, says he, you know, sees it different and all that, but he says there's no excuse as far as what I felt and what I saw. I should have responded differently.
3: On this show when it was learned that the Cardinals were going to be on the in-season Hard Knocks, I think there was a lot of, "Ooh, this is going to be good. This is going to be juicy." I yeah. think 4 weeks in, and I'll speak for the show too, the reaction is, "This is what they're showing us?" Really? I'm curious to get your viewpoint as a guy who spent so so long in the NFL right. and was in locker rooms. It's fascinating for us on the outside to a degree yep. again before before these episodes but um <laughs> um do, do do players get into hard knocks at all i'm I'm pretty sure some guys
0: do i, I mean i don't i, I mean I, I I lived it um and I, I you know i watched these episodes for the most part i didn't watch last night so had something else going on um to but you probably to, didn't feel like you were able, missing to, anything to either talk about it but yeah like for example you know we see the eno situation happen mm-hmm. and and there's no way they don't catch something, right? Uh, part of it in the locker room, because they're set up for all that. They see get all the game speeches, and somebody gets a game ball, they're set up to, to give you something. And obviously, when I'm not in a locker room, I want to see, well, what really happened? Everybody wants to see what really happened. I know what happens uh, in between plays or on the sideline or, you know, you go to Mexico. Of course, they're going to follow around certain guys that have hair. I, I, you know those type of things. But some of the drama, yeah. right, of what you really want to know about of why this occurred or these decisions are made, if you're not showing that, I mean, as a player... I It doesn't matter to me. What what I've learned,
4: and and, and this might be just unique to the in-season instead of the preseason one, but this is not for the hardcore local fans. This is for the general NFL fan to sort of just like watch an NFL TV show. But I don't understand how the level of storytelling that they are not going into would be interesting to a generic NFL fan. Because you're not even getting to know the guys. You're not even getting to know their personalities all that well. So correct what me is if I'm, there except for prolonged game highlights? Correct me if I'm wrong because you've watched a lot more of the other Hard Knocks than I have. Yeah. this Because it's in season, they're showing a lot more of the game Mm-hmm. footage like half of each episode is mm-hmm. the game and just like highlights of the game a lot of dave passion both calls and then just you know reaction on the sideline it's it's not as much you're not seeing as much about the personalities of each player no, and
3: stuff you're right and and like the formula for hard knocks in the training camp editions is you'll get to know those players a little bit. Their struggle, maybe a guy trying to hold on to a roster You're rooting spot for them primary. to or, try to make it, or the unknown undrafted rookie that's trying, right. and then they'll focus for the last five minutes on the preseason game because nobody cares about preseason. <laughs> I think HBO and NFL films, quite honestly. Um, and i feel justified in saying this from what i've seen for 4 weeks i think they're struggling with coming up with a presentation strategy on the uh, on the in-season stuff there's a lot more at stake and and then you you, you factor in the franchise's uh, desire to keep things under wraps to a degree there's a feel in training camp Zoe, and you could speak to this yeah uh, you know, you're rooting for guys it, it, it's right. it, you know there's hard work being done but it's just about the pursuit of a roster spot it's not the, about the pursuit of a championship, championship yet, right, so it yeah.
0: changes the whole view of the show. Yeah, it's different dynamics. Which uh, and then guys, time right? I'm playing a season. I don't necessarily want a camera following me around. I it, but the first episode getting to see Buddha Baker with his sister I mean I thought that was that was cool that yeah. was cool dope right you saw people outside of the element and so maybe if they f- focused on a little bit more of some of those stories obviously there's some negative but there's a lot of positive that guys are doing that I think would help elevate to, to Sarah's point getting to know guys what drives them behind them you know I know a couple of guys will allow you to go hey what do I do on my Tuesday with my kids am I picking up dropping off uh-huh. and how I prepare for a game and this is how I manage life as a married man, a father and a football player. Mm-hmm. We saw a little bit more of that too, not just the negative stuff. I think that would add a lot of depth to it as well. J.J. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Watt learning
0: how to change a diaper. Yeah, I yeah, would watch right. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, those real experiences that, that people
3: would I mean, you get to know guys deeper. One yeah. single shot of Kyler Murray away from the facility or the team. That'd be good.
1: What?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. No. Uh, you can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at six twenty-six twenty right now. Coming up next, Devin booker was ungodly last night and scoring 51 points but something else is brewing with the phoenix suns on a positive standpoint and we'll get into that positive next it's bickley and Murata mornings with lorenzo alexander in for bick today here on arizona sports the local sports leader doing what i'm supposed to do um you
0: know uh, not taking plays off um, putting pressure on the rim and, you know, just finishing my rolls to the rim to get those, to try and get my hands on old boards and, you know, just close up possessions on the defensive end. I think we did a good job on, um on just being in shifts and, you know, just making it a little challenging for guys to get to the rim, although
2: they, they did do their thing in transition, but when it was a full court set, it was, it was pretty hard for them to get into that flow of off,
3: Devin Booker is getting the headlines today, and rightfully so. When a guy goes 20 for 25 from the floor, 6 of 7 from three-point range, scores 51 points in 30 minutes of basketball, that's a pretty rare accomplishment. Devin Booker has been unbelievable. But DeAndre Ayton, supplementing what De, uh, what Booker did last night, though 30 points, 14 rebounds, um, got to the free-throw line nine times, made eight of them, blocked a couple of shots, he is turning into the player that we had hoped for, had expected, had seen glimpses of, and he's doing it more consistently. He was talking there about his double double streak which has reached seven games. That was the thing that you know, DA came into the league. Hey, this is a guy that can roll out of bed and get, you know, eighteen and ten. Right, it's one thing to say it; it's another thing to do it. He's right. doing it right now, and he looks like a newly motivated player, and it's very exciting to watch.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with you uh, on that point. And you know, I'm still just I'm using my patience; just want to see how long this continues and seeing him stay locked in. And I, I know, it, and it's great to watch and see. Um, and to your point, I'm all I'm. All, I think I'm always worried more about. How it looks versus what he does, Uh right? To your point, to the, you could get 20 and 10, whenever. Is he physical? Is he, you know, dunking on guys? Uh, Even though he can lay it up, you know, just that physical presence that are like little things that, yeah, I know two points is two points, but me, Jamming the ball versus me laying it up sends a different a different message to the opposing team of what type of game, setting hard picks, all those little things right add up over a course of a game.
3: Bick is not here today. Uh Uh-huh. But you sound like Bick when you say this stuff. Because we've had these discussions for years. It's not necessarily about the production as opposed to the eyeball test. Right. But the exciting part is both of those things are coming together yeah, right now, and that's the, the cool pro- part. The production is there, and he's you know he's knocking people around and doing it. Yeah, and so
0: that's why I'm I'm excited for him. Um, I know a lot of people are. I know even Monty is like, this is why I've been on you. This is why I'm stressing these things because you can do this game in and game out. Um, and that is, I think, the telltale sign when a guy starts to, to shift from being a good player to start. I'm a I'm a great player. I'm a difference maker is when you start closing that mm-hmm. gap of of great game, okay game, great game, okay game. And you start stringing them together week in and week out. And I think somebody was talking, you know, obviously eight Eighty-two, getting it from being like he gives you twenty great games to getting that up to like forty to fifty games of the eighty-two, where it's like, okay, I uh-huh. see you, and then you know that's who he's going to be in the playoffs. Versus is which one are we going to get? Instead of hoping, you you know who he's going to be.
3: Yeah, uh, here's Monty Williams
2: talking about uh, his big man turning his season around at this point. I don't know. I, I think for me, it's always about the consistent work. You know, whether you're going through a tough stretch, not getting off to the start you want to, you just keep working at it. We have a, a phrase, reps removed out. You know, if you get the work in, you can trust the work, you know, and he's he's been working his tail off this year, whether it's in the weight room or extra work with MB, I think Over the long haul, the guys that work, you know, sooner or later, it's going to pay off for you. And, you know, he's certainly gotten himself into the kind of shape that it takes for a guy to put up these kinds of numbers. I think that's part of it, too. Probably a few other variables I'm missing. But I, I think when you put the work in, you run into nights like this or se- or seasons or, or moments like this during the season and I think that's something that he should be proud of but not satisfied with
3: yeah Monty also talked about alright you got DeAndre Ayton you got Devin Booker this combination that when DeAndre Ayton was drafted that was the calling card. That was the building block. You got those two guys together. What's going to happen? What's the potential? We're starting to see that potential come together with those two, especially now with them being shorthanded, playing without Chris Paul, playing without Cam Johnson, not having any contributions from from, from Jay Crowder. Uh, Monty talked about the growing com- uh, chemistry between those two. They would
2: say the same thing. Like, everything we do is about the team. There, there were certain moments in the game where those two had it going, especially on the right side of the basket in the first half where we played a two-man game, and it was pretty cool to watch them. Whether it was a DHO, or he threw it to Book, and Book came off of a pick-and-roll, shot it, or D.A. found him for a backdoor. Like that was pretty cool to watch. Um, and, you know, I think all of these moments, opportunities, are going to help us in the future when you're able to do this without Chris you know it, it makes you think about the potential of our team as we go forward um, and I, I think they would say the same thing if not for the spacing on the back side it doesn't open it up for those two to play the way that they, they did together tonight
3: those two combined for 81 points the first time the Suns in their history have ever had a 50 point score and a 30 point score yeah. in the same game that doesn't happen a lot they were 31 of 42 from the floor combined Just just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, that is, and I, and I have a question because I'm, you know, I'm just a, you know, a, a typical fan, and I don't know all the strategy and stuff. And I know one of the big things this year that people talked about with Jay not wanting to be here anymore is him going, not being able to start right, coming off the bench. You have Cam Johnson, right? And but because of that, now you have issues with some bench depth, right? Yeah. When, when you have a guy like D.A. start to exert himself in this in this way, obviously when CP3 comes back, he'll be a starter. Would you ever see a world where Cam goes back to the bench, they continue to start Tory Craig and have this, and so you still have that guy coming off the bench to, to add to that depth that's to score with that second group, or it's just, no, they have to figure out, they have to probably add a guy. We
4: talked about that early in the year yeah. when Cam was struggling and the bench was struggling. Struggling.
3: Yeah, I I don't think so. Okay, and one of the reasons I say that is the metrics when, when you've got that five on the floor when it's Johnson, Bridges, Aiton, Paul, and Booker. It's a small sample size, but the metrics, the analytics were off the charts. They were one of the top five five men lineups, and um, a lot of it depends on Cam Johnson, his effectiveness, which you know it, it's fair to worry about because when he came back from his injury last year. You know, that game against the Knicks where he hit that buzzer beater, that's the game he got hurt and he missed substantial time and he yeah. came back and he was never really the same player. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a concern moving forward. Um, and I think a lot of that might be allevi- alleviated too with the the reps that Cameron Payne and Torrey Craig are getting with the starters yeah. right now. They look like a lot more confident scorers, yeah. both, both of them, right. and, uh, Payne especially. So uh, it's an interesting question, but I... I uh, I think if everybody's healthy and r- raring to go, you're going to see that five on the on the floor together okay. to start games sure. at least. Uh, coming up next, we will talk uh, ASU, not just football but basketball. New head coach on the bas- on the uh, football program and some strife with the basketball team. Chris Cartman from SunDevilSource.com dot com will join us next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings with Lorenzo Alexander in for Bick here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Pickley Vince Morada, Pickley and
1: Morada Mornings,
3: Arizona Sports, the
0: local sports leader. This place can be special,
3: and it is special. We're going to hire people who believe in it. We're going to put our hearts into it, right? And we're going to maximize every drop that we can get out of it. Yeah, that was last right, uh, and this is my dream job. Last Sunday, Kenny, Dillian don't me. cut him off. Sorry, I got I got excited. I was fired up by the messaging. In the press conference, Kenny Dillingham introduces the new head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils uh, last Sunday. Lots of work to do here to talk about it with us. The uh, publisher of SunDevilsource.com, Chris Cartman, joins us on the Arizona Sports Line. Chris, good morning. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Good
3: to be with you guys. Um, What a difference five years makes in terms of reaction to an introductory press conference, huh? When we were all scratching our heads after that weird press release and Herm Edwards' statements during his uh, press conference and then Kenny Dillingham doing exactly what he needed to do, uh, firing up the the, the masses uh, in Sun Devil Nation with his introductory press conference. Just your overall thoughts on on the hire uh, and what we've seen so far from Kenny Dillingham.
1: Yeah, so I've been saying for years now that uh, the last four ASU coaches have not had a lot of the local institutional knowledge, regional knowledge that has a tremendous amount of value uh, to the position. These coaches have had to kind of learn things on the fly. It's often taken them years, um, uh, or maybe not that long, but, but almost too long uh, for them to figure out a bunch of things that Kenny Dillingham already understands, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he doesn't have to, to uh, figure out what recruiting is like in Arizona. He doesn't have to figure out what uh, the, the situation is with fans and the community. Uh, he, he went to ASU. He grew up in Scottsdale. He knows all these things. He's talking about Ajo Al Salsa at the, at the press conference. Um, and, and so the, the, the value of that really is that he doesn't have to figure out what he needs to know. To, to get started at ASU. And, and he doesn't have to, it, that matters in terms of building a staff. That matters in terms of the talent acquisition component of what you're doing. That matters in terms of your interaction with uh, your administration, uh, and figuring out how to cut through red tape and, and uh, booster engagement and outreach. All these areas. He's so far further ahead. And also, I think very importantly, we talked about relationships and he talked about there's no sacrifice. There's no substitute for, for, for putting in time. Uh, that's what leads to good relationships. And uh, people know that ASU struggled to recruit locally for a long time now, probably 15 years, uh, quite significantly. And uh, what Dillingham does is he brings someone who understands that he might not get kids the first time around, mm-hmm. but in the transfer portal era, he'll have an opportunity to get those kids on a bounce back if he wants them due to the time that he's putting into the relationships on the front end.
3: Which I think is a a very important point because there's been such a stress put on local recruiting. And, yes, it does need to improve. But for me, it's still very simple. Yeah, you add the NIL um, factor in the last couple years, Chris. But the reason why local kids weren't coming to ASU to play their their college football is ASU wasn't winning enough football games. Um, So those two things, and that still needs to happen in any formula. Uh, How far away are they from being able to do that in your mind?
1: Well, look, so the NIL thing, uh, over the next year to two years, I think people are kind of come to understand that a lot of the numbers that are out there are not very accurate. Um, yes, Jordan Addison is getting a huge amount of money, and it's, you can't compete for those types of guys. Uh-huh. But there's really only probably a handful of players in the Pac-12, mostly at USC and Oregon, who are commanding six figures uh, in, in the NIL marketplace. And, and everybody else, there's a lot of talk about they might get numbers or things are promised to them, but then you, they get to schools and and it's not that easy to actually get that amount of money. So, um Dillian is not going to be able to just walk in and automatically convince everybody, hey, you're not going to actually get that much money if you go somewhere else. But what's going to happen over time is there's going to be, be an understanding that's shared amongst players about how much they actually really make. Mm. Uh, And that that will have a benefit. Now, ASU gained a million-dollar committed uh, by NAP Lawrence, and then I heard that they have had uh, about $700,000 in in the last several days after that from uh, the the, the biggest NIL collective, the Sun Angel Collective, uh, committed to them. So they're going to be able to have money to try to keep their best players Elijah Badger, uh, Jalen Conyers, I think those guys are probably the most uh, like worthy and capable of going out and getting some money on the open market if they decided they were going to try to do that. We have no indication as yet that they are. But um, just the, the ability for ASU to try to keep some of the top players on the roster and then also see if there is some targeted opportunities to go out and grab a few players that could have a big impact, especially probably on their defense.
0: Hey Chris is Larissa Alexander here and, and I have a ton of friends that are uh, obviously ASU alum and, and love the program and last night we were actually talking um, over dinner, you know, about the collective. They already been hit up, uh, you know, donate, be a part of the collective. How does that work or how do you think it's gonna work? As far as keeping the players that you mentioned, seeking out other players, right? Because in, in the NFL is very streamlined, right? You have a GM that uh, attributes a certain value to certain free agents. How does that? How is that going to work? How is that going to be managed? You know, uh, at the ASU college level.
1: Yeah. So I think really there's no secret who the best players are on a, on a college team. Like everybody kind of knows, oh, that's wide receiver one. Oh, that's ASU's best offensive lineman. That's their top uh, pass rusher. Right. And um, so essentially, uh, and, and by the way, the, the coaches, they're not going to be uh, shy about saying those things. Like they're going to, Publicly put out there into the ether. Hey, these these, these are our best players. These are the you know the players that are most important to what we're trying to build going forward. And basically, you have the this you know this collective, um, which. They're listening, they're absorbing all of these statements. They have relationships with people who, who know the coaches. Um, so so from a, a who's already on the roster standpoint, uh, that's going to be pretty easy. Now, a more difficult thing is uh, which players are out there that are uncommitted, that are high school recruits or transfers, who could command money on the marketplace. And I think what, what what's going to happen is the, the public reporting about those players – Um, where, where they're at in terms of the schools that they're considering, uh, if they are seriously involved with ASU and to what degree, those are the things that are going to probably end up being cues for the NL collective about okay, this is somebody that we need to understand what the uh, what the value is on on this person in the marketplace, and then they're able to have those types of conversations either directly or with uh, representatives uh, of the players, and that that's just that's the new lay of the land. Right. ASU's not going to probably be able to go get. A lot of the five-star, high four-star guys who who have opportunities to go to the SEC or the Big Ten or USC, that reality is not changing, I don't think. But as I said, they'll have the ability to get guys at the secondary marketplace uh, who are either maybe star players at uh, non-Power 5 schools that want to play out but don't have the opportunity to go to Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, whatever, uh, you know, or they have the ability to get guys that want to come back home or be more, more proximal to the region where they grew up. Mm-hmm.
3: Chris Cartman from SunDevilSource.com, uh, the publisher, joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Before we let you go, I want to shift gears to basketball real quick. Uh, the quickest answer you can give because we're up against it, Chris, but the Marcus Bagley situation Situation uh, is, is a strange one with his Twitter activity. We talked to Bobby Hurley earlier this week, and he said there's just no minutes for Marcus. The suspension is what it is. The reasons behind it are still kind of fuzzy. I mean, how do you sum up and, and, and take a look at the future of Marcus Bagley in this program?
1: I think it's clear what happened was um, there was an incident after the NAU game. Bagley admitted it. I've heard that that was the case from other people. Um, some things were said that shouldn't have been uh, and uh, everybody kind of agrees about that part. But then after that, what happened was Hurley wanted to keep the, the, the whole incident in-house mm-hmm. and how they were going to deal with it in-house. Uh, he was basically saying, which apart a part truth, but not the entire story but, but true, that other players were doing well, that there weren't minutes for Marcus at that point in time because of the way that they were playing and how deep that they were. There was another component to the story that he uh, decided to not tell because he wanted, again, to keep that private. Uh, Bagley was deciding that he was going to air out a lot of these things. And it was the airing out of the information on, on Twitter that caused the issue, not the fact that there was a public acknowledgement of Bagley being wrong.
3: Yeah. What a mess. <laughs> do, do you think we see Bagley back in uniform anytime soon?
1: I think it's very unlikely. Uh, I would say that there is a a, a, a very high chance that he doesn't play for ASU again. Cause the second, the second tweet, which he then deleted about telling players, you know, uh, be careful about where you go to college because coaches will tell you to say anything to build you up and then, um, you know, bring, carry you down or whatever he said, I'm paraphrasing, but that, that doesn't work. You can't, you can't do that after you already know why you got in trouble and why you weren't playing to begin with. There's, we're in this era where, where young athletes feel like they that it's okay to go and just like put everything on social media and it isn't your coach especially in college gets to decide what the rules are about those types of things mm-hmm. like just because you are a star player in your own mind uh you think you're you're, you're important and you're super valuable and you're going to do whatever you want to do it doesn't work like that and so this is a lesson I would say more so for players to understand that you're going to have to adhere to the rules wherever you go and there's no reason why Hurley would want Marcus badly to fail. He spent the last two seasons trying to massage the situation when he's been mostly on the sidelines through yep. to injuries and saying nothing but positive things about
3: him. Yep, Chris, great stuff. Appreciate the time as always. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Chris Cartman, publisher of SunDevilSource.com joined us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Nine o'clock is upon us. That means social studies is around the corner Woo! with Sarah Cazell. It's Bickley and Murata mornings with Lorenzo Alexander sitting in today for Bick. Here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.